Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're already a subscriber to the show, amazing. Thank you. I love you. And if you're not, what are you waiting for? Subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Yes, right now. I'll wait. You got it? Awesome. Okay, on to the show. On today's episode, we are talking with Alana Silber, the CEO of Sharsheret, a Jewish organization that helps women and their families facing breast cancer. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And here at Unpacked, we are putting breast cancer in the spotlight. No community is immune to the harrowing impact of breast cancer. But unfortunately, the Jewish community has historically been affected at disproportionately high rates. And so we'd be remiss if we didn't dedicate an episode of Nice Jewish Girls to Breast Cancer this month. After all, it's women who are most affected by it. This is a podcast that tells the story of Jewish women, the good and the not so good. Breast cancer is by definition, the not so good. It's taken so much, so many lives. As is much of what we talk about here in Nice Jewish Girls, this is a really personal topic for me. When I was a child, my own grandmother survived breast cancer. And I understand its impact on the women suffering and their families, the pain and fear that it brings. But today's conversation is not about the horror of breast cancer. It's about the resilience of women. It's about our impossible penchant for survival, even if that survival is through legacy alone. Put simply, today's conversation is about hope. I really can't understate how impactful Sharsheret is as an organization. Their outreach, their advocacy, and their work is quite literally saving the lives of thousands of people. I am moved to have the opportunity to speak to Alana Silver today. And I'm so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Alana Silver is the Chief Executive Officer of Sharsheret, a national organization supporting Jewish women and families facing breast and ovarian cancer. She joined the organization as a volunteer in its earliest days and has been a staff member since 2003. Alana has led Sharsherad's growth from a handful of volunteers to a national organization and today has overall strategic and operational responsibility for Sharsherad's staff, programs, and growth nationwide. With more than 15 years of experience in the field, Alana serves as the chair of the Federal Advisory Committee on Breast Cancer in Young Women regarding the formative research, development, and implementation and evaluation of evidence-based activities designed to prevent breast cancer and promote the early detection and support of young women who develop the disease. Alana, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's really an honor and a pleasure. Likewise. Let's start off from the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about where you're from? So I am from New Jersey, northern New Jersey. Um, I have um, an MBA in healthcare and strong connections in the Jewish community. And that's been my background. And I was introduced to Shar Sharet um, a long time ago. I'm going to totally date myself if I give the year, but you already said I started volunteering back in 2003 uh, when Shar Sharet was just... Um, I started volunteering actually in 2002 when Sharsheret was less than a year old. Um, and I came on as a volunteer because as a young Jewish woman, I was really compelled by the mission to help others in our community who were facing breast cancer. I myself did not have breast cancer. 
And you talked about having this strong connection to the Jewish community. Can you tell us a bit about that? So growing up, um, my parents were involved in Jewish education and Jewish communal services. So as a child, I was exposed to a lot of different uh, Jewish initiatives in my community and across the country and across the world and always had a soft spot in my heart for causes that could improve the lives and the community um, among Jewish people of all backgrounds. And like you said, you haven't experienced a bracha Hashem, you haven't experienced breast cancer or ovarian cancer, but you've become such an integral part of this field. Can you tell us a bit about why you were drawn to this and why public health and commitment to Jewish community intersected at this point? First of all, I mean, everyone I know knows somebody who's been touched by breast cancer and ovarian cancer. Breast cancer more because more people just get it than ovarian cancer. But I have yet to meet a person who hasn't said, I mean, even we get on, a, I go on a meeting, a call, and I'll tell people, what do you do? What do you, and, oh, and I'll say this comment, oh, um, everyone we know knows somebody with breast cancer, and they'll say, oh, like my mom, or like my aunt, or my grandmother, or my sister, I cannot get through a conversation. So for that alone, this is really a crisis um, in the Jewish community. So even though I personally have not been diagnosed with breast cancer, I am at high risk for breast cancer just by being um, an Ashkenazi Jewish woman. Um, There's breast cancer in my family. There's breast cancer among my friends and my community. And just as a woman, you have a risk for breast cancer. You know, that is the biggest risk for breast cancer, being a woman. Um, And men also get breast cancer, and we'll talk about that. It's a different population, but also very important. Um, So, and I got involved with that, and I think that women's health in the Jewish community was not a priority for many years. And when you think about the leaders in our community and in our families, there's women are doing so much. Women's health is really critical for the continuation of the Jewish community. So we needed to step up and really address this urgent concern. There are things we can do to protect women's health and protect the next generation. So as a young Jewish woman, I was so compelled by the mission. Um, I had to get involved and I wanted to bring together my love for the Jewish community and my interest in healthcare. Um, and it's just that was just a personal interest of mine. Like when going for my degree, I worked at Mount Sinai Medical Center in New York City. I worked at Lenox Hill, all in administrative types of positions, not medical necessarily, but being in this environment of healthcare and learning a lot. Um, and really seeing the value of bringing good health care to the Jewish community and saving lives. And then that, when you talk about Jewish continuity, to me, saving women's lives and men at this point, because we'll talk a little bit how they're so involved with this issue, too. Um, this is the Jewish family and we have to care about it and we can do things to save lives. I mean, even how you started that answer when you explained that it's hard to get on a call without hearing the story of someone who has been affected by breast cancer. I mean, the, the same thing here. My grandmother had it um, and I come from Long Island, New York, an area where there is a large Jewish population and also super high volume of breast cancer patients, possibly because, like you said, of being Ashkenazi or environmental concerns, whatever it may be. It's it's a It's a a real and prevalent issue in our community. Um, and Charcheret is really at the hub of that. Can you tell us a bit about what Charcheret is and how it's involved in this space of breast cancer research and prevention? Yeah, so Charcheret is 
the only national organization that is focusing on breast cancer and ovarian cancer for Jewish women and families of all backgrounds and beyond the Jewish community and at every stage. So when we say every stage, we are working on college campuses. We are the national philanthropy for AE5, for example, and we work with Chabad and Hillel on campus talking to young adults about their risk for cancer, boys and girls, men and women, about their risk of carrying a genetic mutation like BRCA um, and what they can do now to take care of their health. And then Shersher continues to educate and support women and men and families of all ages. So Sharsharet is this organization that has basically two areas of focus. One is support for women and families going through cancer or at risk for cancer. They may never be diagnosed, but are worried about it and what they can do. And then we're also educating the broader community um, about their risk and what they can do to protect their health. So we that's what we do. And we are doing it for women and families of all backgrounds. Um, and that's a unique, that's a unique um, situation in the Jewish community in general to really be there for Jews of all backgrounds from those who are ultra Orthodox and Hasidic to those who maybe are Jewish because of their genes or married to Jewish people or in relationships with Jewish people or raising Jewish children. So Sharsheret understands all the different walks of life and can address this um, these health issues. And we also partner with ma major medical centers and the CDC. You know, we're all thinking CDC right now because of COVID, but CDC also does a lot of work related to cancer. And Sharsheret is bringing the Jewish voice to the national platform by working with the CDC and also working with major medicals, major medical centers to get the research out there and to share our patients' experiences so everyone can learn more. It's really incredible. I mean, this is such a prevalent issue in our community. We are really prone to genetic diseases as a people. And to be aware of that, to know from a young age what your options are is something that I think we often take for granted. So can you tell us a bit about how you first got involved with Sharsharit? So I was a young mom. I was a stay-at-home mom at the time. I had four little kids. And the founder, her name was Rochelle Shoretz. She happened to have been a 28-year-old woman who also was a young mom. She was a rising attorney. She had clerked for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Couldn't find anything in the Jewish community or in the cancer community to address her issues as a young woman, a young Jewish woman. You know, she wanted, um, she got a lot of offers to speak to aunts and grandmothers, but she was 28 years old. So she wanted someone who wanted to talk about intimacy with her partner, about balancing career and cancer, raising little kids, uh, being public about her diagnosis, um, but also maintaining privacy. Um, and so she found another young woman who was a few years ahead of her. Her name was Lauren. And Lauren took Rochelle and literally walked her through the harrowing days before surgery through chemotherapy. And she said, this is what I needed, right? I needed to speak to another young woman and see what was going on. And she said, we can't be the only two young Jewish women out there. Let's start an organization. They called it Sharsheret, which is the Hebrew word for chain, because they were connecting women to women and women to resources. 
Um, and that, and they said, if we could help five women a year, okay, we'll be successful. You know, fast forward, you know, 20 years later, it's our 20th anniversary. You know, we've helped more close to 19,000 women. Um, but anyway, so she was speaking in my neighborhood in the local synagogue. And a friend of mine said, let's go here this woman starting an organization. And I said, look, you know, I don't have breast cancer in my family. I was really young. I was really busy. I was like, I don't want to go to hear about breast cancer, but we went and I was literally blown away by the passion of this founder of Rochelle. She, I mean, clearly this is, she was brilliant and beautiful and she just really got me interested. And I started as a volunteer and it was, and after a few months she said, you know, I think Sharsha Art's going to grow. It's going to be much bigger than just matching women, which is a great program where we match women one-on-one with peer support, but women want more. They want more information. They want more programs. And I had this MBA in healthcare, so I kind of had that and the strong connections. You need strong connections in the Jewish community to go anywhere. Um, so we teamed up and I started working and um, it was really professional. She was super professional. We said, you know, we took ourselves very seriously. We knew that breast cancer, ovarian cancer is not a pretty situation. And very often nonprofits don't treat people in a way that is very professional. So we were very, um, very focused on making it professional and we grew. And now, you know, 20 years later, we have five offices, we have, um, 35 staff members, thousands of volunteers, 19,000 in the peer support network, um, and more than 200,000 in the community plus. I mean, that's as, that's as many as we can track or 200,000, but there are probably more. And you've, I'm sure, met so many women through this experience um, who have had stories of being impacted by breast cancer, but also impacted by the peer-to-peer support by knowing what their options are, by knowing through this conversation and this network, how to handle a really traumatic experience in their lives. Are there any that have been particularly impactful for you in your career? So first of all, that first match between Rochelle and Lauren is like, you know, that's the, that's the basis for everything. Um, But I do have, we've had women who, you know, it's particularly younger women who are talking to each other in particular about their, the fertility is like our biggest issue right now for women in their thirties. I think that it's a big issue outside of breast cancer, but it becomes even more complicated with breast cancer. So we've had women who've called us and said, you know, I don't know what to do. My doctor's given me multiple choices of my options. What do I do? And then we maintain this database and we can match two women. I mean, we even met, I remember introducing two women to each other. One had gone through chemotherapy and had lost a ton of weight. And one had finished and had put on a lot of weight. So they were talking to each other. They matched because of some other reason, but they, their weight issue came up and they decided to switch clothing. And so then they would mail oh, wow. the clothing to the one who lost yeah. weight for the smaller clothes and the one who gained weight to the, to the other woman. So that was like, you know, a, a fashion uh, match. But we've done crazy matches. I mean, there's one that I really remember. So there was a young um, woman who said she was diagnosed with a certain early stage breast cancer and she had to have a mastectomy and she did the type of mastectomy where she, it's called a, 
a flap where they take it from your stomach area and they build up your breasts that way. So she said, I call it a tummy tuck and a boob job. Um, and she said she had four little kids, ages 12, 11, really young. And she said, I'm really looking for another woman who has the same age kids, same age diagnosis. But, um, and she also mentioned that her husband was a conservative rabbi. Um, and so we went into the database and we found another 34 year old woman who had four kids, the same ages, the same diagnosis, um, the same concerns, and also the wife of a rabbi. And they were, they hit it off because you can imagine in the public eye, how do you balance what you share with the congregation and what you share privately um, and what you keep private. So that was like an all in one, you know, we find matches like that all the time because we have this database fed and women are calling, they could speak to one person like that and then other women, but we can make these very tailored matches, which was, you know, peer support. There's a lot of peer support going on through our Facebook groups, but then we also create these one-on-one matches that have been incredibly supportive to people and they stay friendly afterwards. And we have it all facilitated by a social worker in the beginning, but then they become friends and, and they're on their own. This feels so Jewish. It's like a shidduch process almost. But I mean, I feel like a lot of the time getting a diagnosis can be really, really isolating, especially like you mentioned, if you're in a position where you are in public perception, that can be something that you feel really alone with and you give people the chance to connect. Um, When it comes to genetic testing. I think that's a big issue in the Jewish community. How have you seen throughout your career the relationship in the community between getting tested for BRCA, knowing what your options are, and kind of being more aware of that shift and the attitude towards genetic testing shift in the Jewish community over time? Okay. So looking back at the last 20 years, the media has put tremendous emphasis on BRCA and BRCA. So that's already been happening around us. So we have had much more conversation and it was, it's still taboo in some communities, um, uh, especially when you're talking about shidduchs and setting people up and having a taint or a stain on your, on your heritage. Um, but people are talking about it more. And I think through Sharsharit's work, like we have videos of women talking about, and men, because men also can carry the mutation. And I think that that's a huge misconception that people think it's only women. When they say the statistics, and I know it's hard for people to remember statistics, but this is a big one. One in 40 Jews of Ashkenazi descent carries a BRCA mutation compared to one in 300, 400, 500 in the general population. And that's men and women, not only women carry mutations. Everybody has a BRCA gene and we're talking about a mutation. So it's also something for men and people are thinking, why does it matter for a man? So a man could pass it on to his daughters, but also BRCA also increases your risk for prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer, melanoma, male breast cancer, and breast and ovarian cancer. So that's why it's really important. So let's just put it out there. Then 20 years ago, Myriad, which is um, a laboratory, they had a patent, which is a crazy thing. They owned a patent on a human gene, meaning they were the only company out there that could test for BRCA. Super expensive, not so accessible. Um, And people were like, this is crazy, right? So they fought back and advocacy groups got it changed. And the Supreme Court said, no, 
a company cannot own a part. They didn't, it's not like they owned the test for BRCA. They owned the gene, which is crazy in human beings. So once that was overturned, different laboratories opened. But um, in addition to that, I don't know if you guys, if your audience knows about 23andMe, Ancestry.com. These are entertainment tools, but they have also now have where they could test for BRCA or BRCA, however you want to call it which is a little bit of a scary thing because we really encourage people to test with um, a medical professional. But we did have a person, she um, tested 23andMe um, and she called her Sherrit and she's like, oh, I tested with 23andMe. And we said, oh, did you look at your results? Um, and she said, um, yeah, no, no. And then she looked at it and she looked it up again. And then she saw that there was like a highlight on BRCA. She said, wait a second, what do I do with this? I don't know what to do. Now, 23andMe do have some genetic counselors, but we have a genetic counselor on staff and we have social workers. So she spoke to them and they said, you know, this means that you're at higher risk for breast cancer. And what are my options? In the end, she decided to have a double mastectomy. So she goes in for the double mastectomy. They start to do the surgery and she has early stage breast cancer and she ne- they never would have found it. And then once you, once you find out that you carry a BRCA gene, it doesn't just affect you, it affects your family. So she called her sister and she said, you should also test. Same thing happened. She tested positive for BRCA. And then she also had a double mastectomy and also had early stage breast cancer. So their lives were saved because they wouldn't have thought about it. They weren't the age of mammography. So mammograms start at 40. They didn't feel anything. Um, and because they knew their, that, that what it meant, but the p- problem is, had they been working with a medical professional, maybe six months earlier when she took the test, she could have started to plan her options. So the 23andMe test is okay, but that's not the end of the story. Whether you test positive or negative because you do 23andMe for fun, that's okay. But then you should take your results to your doctor, positive or negative, because family history is really important. So that's the other thing, like we tell everyone to know your family history. So everyone who's going home for Thanksgiving, talk to your family about your family history. Find out on mother's side and your father's side who's had cancer and what cancers. Because we had a woman who said to us, oh, I went home and no one in my family has had breast cancer, ovarian cancer. I don't need to worry about it. And we said, well, first of all, everyone needs to still be concerned. But okay, maybe you're not elevated risk. But did your family have any cancer? She said, yes. My father had, my grandfather had prostate cancer. My um, aunt had pancreatic cancer and some other relative had melanoma. So we said, you know, the BRCA gene also increased. And she's like, I had no idea. So she went in for a test and she's being followed by her doctor. So it's really important for everyone who's listening today to know your family history. And we happen to have a genetic counselor on staff at Church Charette, no cost, no appointments. Everything's on the phone, very easy. Um, you can speak to her. Her name is Peggy and she's great. So if you have any questions or concerns, because I'm talking so much about it, don't be nervous. Just call us, talk to Peggy. She'll get you going. Yeah. I kind of feel like I should call Peggy after this. <laughs> My wheels are turning. Yeah, <laughs> You should. She'll be happy to hear from you. You talk about um, breast cancer being an issue that doesn't just affect Jewish women or in this instance, Jewish women, but affect women, affects families. And of course, men can get breast cancer. And that's a really common misconception. But I think what you just said is so important that pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, melanoma, these are all issues that put you 
that are, are tied to the same gene and can put you at risk for breast cancer too. And so I think that this is a, a huge misconception that even going into this conversation, I didn't know. Right. And also, and I also, it's not only a genetic mutation. We have a woman in our, um, at Charcheret, whose father's family, all of the women on her father's side had had breast cancer. Um, and they've been testing for genetic mutation for BRCA for years. And they've tested every possible way and there's no genetic mutation, but she knows she has a strong family history. So she's literally said she's been waiting to be diagnosed with breast cancer. And she was diagnosed in the end with breast cancer three years ago. Again, no known genetic mutation, but every single female on her father's side has had breast cancer. Like she could have said, oh, my father didn't have it, but all her aunts did. And then within two years, she and all three of her sisters were diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, thank God they're all doing fine. They're all doing well. They all um, were very vigilant about their health because there was such a strong family history, but they were super smart. They knew that even though it was their father's family, they put them at risk and they were, and they spoke with their doctors about doing a lot of surveillance. That's mammograms, MRIs, going to the doctor, really checking out, but that family still has no known identified genetic mutation. I mean, I'm sure there is, right? There's only BRCA1 and 2, maybe it's BRCA3. They haven't discovered it yet. So family history, so even if you test negative for a mutation, family history is really important too. Absolutely. This all feels very intimately Jewish, understanding your family history, understanding how it affects you, understanding, I mean, part of why it Tay-Sachs or breast cancer or different genetic diseases are so prevalent in Ashkenazi Jews is because of trauma that we've historically experienced and being so isolated as a community. Um, and it's interesting to see, I mean, not interesting, it's kind of painful, but it's also really, I think, a, a tangible way to see the way that trauma has actually affected our genetics as a people. But the ways that now groups like Charcher are giving people tools to overcome that trauma um, and to be cognizant of the choices that you have to be vigilant about your health and to be aware of ways to, to shift it. And I think a big piece of what you're talking about um, is this, this progress that Charcher is making, this community progress. Um, and a piece of that progress is you being CEO. Um, and being a woman and being really vocal about, like you said, being professional, treating these women with respect, um, making sure that these families are getting the support that they need. And you're a female CEO in the Jewish nonprofit space, a place that does have far more male CEOs than female CEOs. How has your experience been in that regard? So Rochelle and I, which we spoke about earlier, we I really came on to support her when she started the organization and started to really take an integral part in the organization. And then um, about six years ago, well, actually probably more than that, Rochelle's health started failing. She was diagnosed again with, she had not had breast cancer for a few years and she was diagnosed again with stage four. Um, And she knew her time was limited. So when she, when her health was failing, she said to me, Alana, you know, my legacy in this world are my two boys. They had grown up um, and share, share it. Promise me you'll make it grow. Um, so when she passed away in 2015, that's when I uh, was appointed CEO of Share, share it. Uh, I was an executive director. Let me be clear on that. Um, I was an executive director and I was really lucky. There were two programs going on at the same time for Jewish, new Jewish CEOs, CEOs of Jewish organizations. One was called Leading Edge, 
which is um, they have a program called Onboarding, Le Leading Edge Onboarding Program, which is really well-funded by the Jim Joseph Foundation, the Weinberg Foundation. Um, and they really created this whole experience for new CEOs um, and Project Accelerate also did. So I joined these two. I applied and was chosen to join this new group. And I learned from others. There were other Jewish CEOs, new ones on these cohorts with me. And I learned. And one of the things I was exposed to was what you were saying, that it's always been a very male-dominated field to have leaders of Jewish organizations. And it was time. And more and more women were getting involved in Jewish nonprofits, but they weren't rising to the top. And when they got to the top, more men were CEOs and women were executive directors. So that was one of the changes that I made as a CEO with support from these cohorts. Um, so I, I transitioned from executive director to CEO um, so that I had the same voice at the table as everybody else. We work a lot with other Jewish organizations and organizations outside the Jewish community. Um, and that's the right title for what we're doing. These are Sure, sure. It's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big organization. There's a lot of responsibility. There's, um, you know, we have thousands, 30,000, 40,000 donors. We have 20,000 people with cancer who are working with sure, This job deserved being called CEO. So I took that on and I created a C-suite of women um, executives. And the truth is sure, is an organization that was started by women, run by women, primarily for women. Our board is predominantly women, although we are focused on diversity and have men on there as well. Uh, but it was really important to me personally and professionally to have Sharsharit's leadership recognized with the same stature as other organizations that are run by men. And we have received really good uh, respect for the work that we're doing um, and created a really good name for the organization um, across the community. And I happen you know, to have three girls and I want them to uh, learn yeah. from this and uh, take charge. Everything you're saying is incredible. And I think one thing that I'm really struck by in your story is that there are a lot of stories that are very inspiring that you see every day, but there are also a lot of really upsetting stories. Like losing someone who is so close to you could be something that sets you back a lot, but you used that story as something to help other lives. You made sure that her legacy was preserved and you made sure that you were doing all that you could to help other people affected like her to have strong stories. Um, and that's really the point of us making this podcast. We want women to understand that their stories are, are strong, that their hardships are things that can be used to catapult greater moments of strength, that they're not alone in what they experience. Um, we want people listening to this podcast, for everyone, but in particular, young women, to listen to mentors in fields that they might never have considered before. And I think this, what you're talking about, is something that affects everyone listening to this podcast. So with all of that in mind, what's one thing, as, as our final question, what's one thing that you'd want the people listening to this podcast to take away from it about navigating the world as a Jewish woman and about doing that in the face of whatever adversity you might see with, with strength, nonetheless. So my advice would be go forward unapologetically Jewish, right? It's okay to be a focal point in the Jewish community and also be able to work outside the Jewish community. I think that we have to understand that the Jewish community is very interesting, very exciting. There's a lot of opportunity and there are a lot of different facets. 
So I think sticking true to your, to your own being and to the community and being open to others and embracing others where they are. And I think it's with the health too. It's like empowering women to get to the next level and securing the next generation. That that's, that's where my focus is and that creates energy. And so I've been doing this for a long time and every day I wake up and when I get a call from a woman who says, sure, Sherrod helped me. And I look and I say, I don't even know her name. She's not in our database, but she watched a video and she saw a story and she knew what to do next. That's, that's where we're learning. So we're learning from the stories and at the end of the day, um, connect with your roots. I mean, that's what, that's what helps you. And know your genes. It's really important to know your genes and your family history. That's what's going to get us to the next generation with health, happiness, and Jewish continuity. Alana Silver, it's been such an incredible honor speaking with you today. We're all really lucky to have heard the stories of these women and to be touched by your work. And I cannot thank you enough for your time. Well, thank you. And kudos to you for really raising awareness this time of year and all year long. Um, We're going to save lives. We're going to do that today. So thank you. Thank you for sharing this. And I hope to everyone listening, get tested, protect your health, protect your family, um, because we can, we have the tools too. And that's a really unique point in history. And it should be a, a, a point of empowerment. And the only thing I would add is we bring up these topics these are serious. These are complicated. It's not so easy to take the next step, but it's really not a hard call to reach out to Sher Sherrod. Mm-hmm. You can call us. Um, we have a toll-free number, 866-474-2774. You can go on our website, shersherrod.org. We have a genetic counselor on staff. We have social workers. Everything is confidential. Everything is free. Everything's accessible. This is a lot of information, and you don't have to know all the answers but that you should know what your next step to be with contact or share it. Facebook, Instagram, we're everywhere. Thank you so much, Alana. Thank you. Since we've started this podcast journey together, we've had a ton of different guests with a ton of different ideas on what feminism is. What do I think feminism is though? I think that this episode, this is feminism. Every generation, women get closer to equality. Women get closer to living in a world that is built for us the same way that it's built for any man. How do we get closer through the generations though? Well, we do that by passing on knowledge. We take the tools we've built in our own lives and we share them with our daughters. We show them down the right path and we hope that they take it further than we'd ever reached. Leaving this conversation, I felt more safe, more empowered and more understood as a woman. I felt that I had the tools to make informed decisions for myself, for my family, for our futures. You know, like Alana, I am the CEO of a Jewish nonprofit organization. I co-founded and co-run Jewish on Campus. And gosh, it is hard. Young women aren't always given a seat at the table, so I pulled up my own damn chair. Hearing Alana's story, she's who I wanna be. She is this example of strength, leadership, and mentorship that I want to embody. The empathy she runs her team with, that's the empathy I hope to run my team with. The strength that she gives other women, that's the strength I hope to give you all on this podcast. To Alana and all of the Share Share It team, thank you. Thank you for fighting for a safer future for women, for all of us. Thank you for breaking ground so that women like me can hopefully follow in your footsteps. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. 
I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And don't forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with Arizona State Representative Alma Hernandez. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Check them out and let me know what you think. And do not forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.